name is Reina Montoya and I am with Jose Patiño. Today we will be covering the second part of detention, the never-ending cycle. On last episode we went over different topics. Jose, can you tell us a little bit about what we discussed and give us a recap in case if the audience didn't tune in? Yeah, we talked about the initial cycle of detention going back to Ellis Island and how was that just something very short-term people were processed into what it is now in terms of something where it just seems entrenched within our society. And I think for us to clearly remember that is this is something new. And all these policies of criminalizing immigrants and making sure that people stay there longer, it's new. It's a new, new phenomenon. And I think for us to think about is that if this is not working for the people, for the communities, for society, and the only people who are benefiting from this is private prisons, then maybe, hey, we can rethink and change this and make something better. Thank you for the amazing recap. If you did not get to listen to part one, we encourage you to tune in before you listen to part two. But today, uh, Jose and I are extremely excited because we have a special guest with us who is an incredible student at Mesa Community College, and she's also a DACA recipient. Her name is Celeste Andrade, and she's going to be sharing with us a little bit about her story, who she is, and how she has been impacted by this detention machine. Celeste, but before we dive in and me start saying how great you are, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and how did you grow up? Well, I'm turning 19 this month. Uh, I have a younger sister. Um, I graduated from Dobson High School. I'm going to MCC right now. My second semester, my second year is coming up. Um, I was raised in Mesa. Uh, the first time I left Arizona was last summer, actually, to California. Um, what else? I love makeup and soccer. <laughs> <laughs> and when did you move here to the U.S.? Um, I came here in 2000, March of 2001. How old were you? I was a year and a half, I think. So you don't even remember? Nope. No memories, no recollections? Nothing at all. Do you you remember your first memory ever here in the U.S.? Yeah, it was, I actually do. It was, um, I was three. I was living um, in this little apartment area. Uh, I just remember waking up, (laughs) going to my mom and saying, Tengo hungry. <laughs> tengo hungry. Oh, yeah. oh my leave walks in the evening. Yeah. So tengo hungry. Those were your first words. Pretty much. First words. <laughs> That's what I remember. Hey, essentials people. We gotta we gotta feed ourselves, right? <laughs> so you were talking about you grew up with your with your mom and your dad and your sister? Mm-hmm. How old is your sister? Uh, right now my sister's thirteen. She's turning fourteen in September. So you are how many years older than her? I'm five years older than her. I'm really bad at math, as you can <laughs> tell. <laughs> um, so then, so then it's a sister, your mom, your dad, and you. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about like what was it like growing up with a family of four? Well, it always felt like more because we were always with like my uncles, my cousins. We always lived like really close by. So it was always a blast. Uh, I had family in Tucson too, so we'd always go to Tucson or they'd come to Mesa. So it was it felt like a bigger family than just the four of us. It mm-hmm. was never really like us alone. We always had people living with us. Mm-hmm. So it was just a lot of fun. We'd always go camping, hiking, road trips, vacations. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. You talked about it in the past tense. 
So I know that we had an opportunity to talk the other time that we were driving in the car and you were sharing a little bit about uh, your own experiences when you were a teenager and what happened to your dad. Um, would you mind sharing a little bit about that? Yeah, um, so December 20th, 2014, um, I was with my friends. My friends came over and we were they were all, it was like four of us they were it was two guys three guys <laughs> and one girl uh we were all in the living room at my house and we heard a knock at the door i go open it and it's a police officer and they asked for my dad and i was kind of confused i wasn't going to be like why <laughs> you know i was just like oh mm -hmm. okay so i call my dad they step outside and they start um putting handcuffs on him and i, I didn't know what to I wasn't sure what to say, so I just kind of stood there, and I, I was like, well, what's going on? And they they just said, well, your dad's under arrest, you know? Mm -hmm. So they took him. Five days later, we were spending... Oh. <laughs> it's okay. We were spending our first Christmas without him at my aunt's house. <laughs> yeah, we had a... Like, two days later, we ended up uh, having to move from the house into my aunt's house. And then we had to spend our first Christmas without him and then New Year's. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah, and it was a little embarrassing, too. Well, not well yeah, I guess, because it was like my friends were there. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then, like, I wasn't the only one, you know, I wasn't so intimate as I thought. Like, I couldn't, like, start crying or mm -hmm. I couldn't. I couldn't be like, no, 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 what's going on? Like, my friends were there, so I had to kind of stay calm and mm -hmm. be like, okay. But... I don't have to pretend everything is okay when it's yeah. not. Pretty I know much. that feeling. My dad was also also detained, and I remember the first Christmas that we spent without, without him and just feeling that you have to be strong, right? And, like, and being there for either your siblings, your younger siblings, or, or your family. And, and it's tough. It sucks. It shouldn't be like that. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. I know that we're here holding our tears. <laughs> But I think it's so it's so important for people who are listening about this to, to get to hear people like you and I, people who have been impacted by this unjust system where we were discussing on last episode how how there's a specific private prisons who benefit from our pain, from benefit from the pain of people of having immigrants being behind bars when it shouldn't be like that. Um, and something that that I was very, uh, very moved when you were sharing your story with me was the fact that you you said that that you never had an opportunity to go see your dad in detention, and. After I drove you home, I was crying. <laughs> I was a mess in the car because it reminded me about, about how I couldn't see my dad. My dad was detained for almost nine months, and he was in Puerto Rico, so I wasn't able to, like, see him. That was right after DACA, and I think that that's something you and I both share. Mm -hmm. you, you you didn't have DACA when your dad was detained, right? No. So how, how, how long was he detained? He was detained about, um, like... Eight, nine months, too. Eight, nine months. Yeah, and then uh, we weren't allowed... I wasn't allowed to even go see, like, his court dates because you had to be over 18, and I wasn't 18 yet. I was uh, 15. You were 15. Yeah, so I wasn't able to see him, 
and then uh, he was in Durango jail. Mm-hmm. And then the, after they like sentenced him, they sent him to Douglas. Mm-hmm. And my sister was, I, I couldn't even see him. My sister was the only one able to see him because she was mm-hmm. a, a citizen. So. Mm-hmm. Did you get to speak to him on the phone? Yeah. <laughs> he would like always cry and mm-hmm. just tell us how he missed us and how he couldn't handle it anymore. It's just like, me da pena que no las puedo ver. Um, I remember he sent us uh, rosaries for me and my sister made out of trash bags. <laughs> so he made rosaries for you. Yeah. <laughs> so he was still being a dad. He was yeah. like, let me yeah. make something for my little daughters. Yeah, he drew us pictures. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, he told us he would just, he would pray for us. And he's like, he's like, un día, like, te voy a ver otra vez. You know, we're going to see each other again. Um, don't worry, you know. But mm-hmm. I, haven't, I haven't seen him since then. So. Since then. How long has it been? It's going to be uh, four years. Four years. I'm going to take a deep breath for that. <laughs> I cannot even imagine um, what would it like to see my dad for four years. But I know that um, that you still talk to him and you still have a relationship with your dad. So for people who don't know your dad, and who haven't had the opportunity to be in relationship with him, what would you wish people know about your dad? Um, well, he's really friendly, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's where you get it from? <laughs> <laughs> I assume so. Um, yeah, no, every time we'd, like, move to a new place, he'd always be friends with the neighbors, they'd come over. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'd always, like, find new people in the living room, and they'd be like, oh, like, oh, I, I um, gave him a job, because my dad had his own company. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he would, um, he would actually go get people sometimes, um, you know, like in the corners <laughs> yeah. at Circle K or something. He, he would bring people and then he would pick people up. Then he'd like bring them to the house, give them a meal, and then mm-hmm. he'd take them home. Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't know, like it was just my dad would, my dad and my uncle would always be the ones to set up camping trips. And now I, I haven't been camping. I haven't gone hiking with my family and it would be like like four four mm-hmm. of us like four families i guess it's like mm-hmm. my family my uncles like two other aunts and mm-hmm. it was just like a big like group of 20 <laughs> going camping hiking and it's like i haven't none of us have done that anymore we would go to sedona flagstaff mm-hmm. and now it's like and it just it's just kind of feels like alone it's like i still see my family but we're not as close as we used to be Mm-hmm. So, so he was the glue. Yeah. Well, he still is. I'm sure <laughs> we'll have to figure out a way to make sure that we reunite you with your dad. And I can't promise you that because I'm not the president. <laughs> but I can promise you that I'm gonna work as hard as I can to make sure that families continue to be together because they deserve to be together no matter what. Thank you so much, Celeste, for sharing a little bit about your story, about your dad. Um, what would you tell our audience? What is something that you would hope that they know about as they're thinking about family separation, as they're thinking about what's happening on the news? What would you like them to do, or what would you like them to know? Um, well, if it ever happens, um, it's just you just have to be really strong. My mom, 
she would cry like every night. But she would never cry in front of me and my sister. You know, like, I would, like, stay up where I'd be sleeping and I'd wake up and I'd hear her crying and praying. So it was just a matter of, like, staying together and supporting one another. Mm-hmm. Well, we feel so honored to have the ability to hear your story and and just know that tears are a sign of strength. They're a sign that you are human and that <laughs> and that you don't have to do this alone. So thank you so much for being with us, for sharing your story with the audience and to letting them know that they uh, they have to be strong and that they can do something about it, that this doesn't have to be this way. So thank you, Celeste, for that. Hi, this is Jose. Thank you, Celeste, for, for coming in. Uh, the reason we invited you is because having to get to know you over the last year and seeing you progress initially where you were really shy about just talking to on a mic and, and just sharing your story and then how powerful it was for you to share your story in front of 200 people at Mesa Community College uh, and then now seeing you being part of this and, and lead what, what we're doing here in Arizona and Mesa, it's, it's really great and I think it, it gives us uh, a, a glimpse where we can see people who have been hurt but this is something how they can go back and educate it and so we can see something different and create new things. You definitely gave us hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, again, if you... And uh, Celeste is one of those stories that... Uh, and also Reina as well, where we have seen family separation. Uh, again, and, and it's being full, but this machine where good people are being separated from their families and good people are being criminalized. Um, so for us, it's like, how do we continue to change this and educate folks um, because it seems that a lot of people don't understand what's going on uh, and it's and it's great for me for me to see celeste taking that what do you call it the bull by the horns and straight out and be like hey this is what is happening to this is what happened to me and how can we change this because ultimately we know that families belong together we have stronger families when everybody's together we have stronger communities when families are strong and I think for us is that we want to continue to do this fight. And if you're listening into our podcast and you were moved by Celeste's story, I just want you to take a deep breath in and remember that this goes deeper, that the pain, the scars, the fear will never go away. But at the same time, there's something so beautiful in the power of, of being vulnerable, of sharing our stories or making sure that we know that we're not alone and that it's not our fault, but it's a system that is intentionally criminalizing undocumented immigrants and putting them behind bars where they profit even more by the by how many numbers, by how many people they have behind bars. And we're asking you once again to educate yourself, educate others, and remember the words of Jose, this is a new phenomena and this doesn't have to be like this this can change. We as a community, we as citizens of the world have the responsibility to make our nation, to make our world a better place, and we can change that. So if you wanna continue to be plugged in, if you wanna know how to get involved, if you're here in Arizona or across 
the US, we are encouraging you to sign up to our mailing list to text the word Art Heals. It's one word, Art, A-R-T, Heals, H-E-A-L-S. If your phone autocorrects, make sure you make it into one word and you text that word to the number 33222. Once again, 33222. Text the word Art Heals so you can receive the latest updates about how are we going to get involved. We're getting ready to do a toolkit about what are some action steps that you can do for to help what's going on with the uh, crisis at the border with the family separation. As Jose and Celeste showed today, this is, this is not a new phenomenon and I know I've been saying this a lot but I think that it is important for us to deeply understand that family separation was happening under President Obama that he had family detention centers and yes it is getting worse right now under this new Trump administration but we have to be educated about the root causes of why this happens and understand that people are profiting specific private prison companies are profiting from our pain so then we can change it if we know, if we have the knowledge of why this happens, then that means we have the ability to change it and make a difference. So thank you for tuning in and we'll see you until our next episode.